Hello, great to see you all. I'm going to be reading today from John chapter 13, and the passage I'm reading comes right after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, and they've taken the Last Supper, and he identified Judas as the one who is going to betray him. Starting at verse number 31. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Actually, sorry, that's verse 21. That's when he identifies Judas. Verse 31. When he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, now also I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Friends, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word, for its trustworthiness, for its clarity, for its truthfulness, for its eternal relevance. Thank you for this word, so poignant and urgent, for a time such as this, a new command, a renewed command to all of us, an imperative Love one another, just as you have loved each of us. Your first love for us is your distinction. Let our first love for one another be our distinction and invitation to a broken world around us that so desperately needs to be reconciled to you and one another. Indeed, in the words of the old gospel song, they will know we are Christians by our love. May it be so. Plant your joy ever deeper in our hearts, that it might be the abundant wellspring out of which our love flows for one another and to the world around us. Amen. Grace Hill, good afternoon. How are you guys? It is so good to see you. Um, I, I, I have to be honest with you. Hearing you sing that hallelujah chorus at the end of that song, uh, my soul needed that this morning. 
So thank you for singing. Thank you for being here and for coming. It's a gorgeous day. We couldn't have asked for a better day. It's actually a little warm in the sun, and we'll take it. So thank you so much for uh, also coming in the afternoon at 4 o'clock and doing this time change with us. Um, As you know, we have been online only, live streaming through the winter. It's been a long winter for us. And we just felt that as a church, as leadership, that what our church needed is to be together safely, but also consistently. And so by coming here and just the amazing hospitality of Cedar Run Community Church, um, we're just able to come and meet in the parking lot when it's beautiful outside like it is right now. And if it's raining or if a cicada invasion is coming, we can go inside um, and be safe inside there and make sure we're we're following safe protocols. So thank you so much for coming. I'm so excited uh, to be with all of you. I'm going to try to remember how to preach in front of people. All right. Normally, I just have Justin staring at me. Um, And so now I have all of you guys. So I will get through it together. If if this is your first time here, uh, I see some new faces. I'd love to meet you afterwards. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Grace Hill Church, and it's just a joy uh, to be here with you. All right, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. Um, We are going to be in the book of John, what you just heard uh, Kathy and Steve read, chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, open it up. If you got your phone, a Bible app on your phone, open that up. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, go to BibleGateway.com and you can look it up as well. I want you to have a Bible in front of you as we look upon and see what God has to say to us this afternoon. If I say this morning at all, which I definitely will, just disregard it. All right, John chapter 13. As you guys know, we have been in a sermon series called Show Up for the purpose of preparing for this very moment. The moment where we are back together as a church in person after a long winter of just being online. And in this sermon series, we have been looking to the scriptures to learn the fact that God has designed us as people and God has designed his church to need to be together in person, physically, that that the church isn't just about good songs being sung by a band or a great preacher preaching or any of those things, but rather the church, it's, it's us being together, literally assembling together. It's what the word church actually means. The people of God being together underneath the word of God, encouraging one another, giving glory to God and doing that consistently until Christ returns. Showing up in one another's lives, physically and relationally. And so today we're going to wrap up this series by studying this passage here in John chapter 13. And today I'm titling this message, The Transformation Principle. The Transformation Principle. Because when we think about church, I think all of us have a a certain set of desires and expectations for the church that we attend or the church that we join, right? We desire to have community. We desire to have friends. We desire to be fed spiritually and to grow in our walk with Christ. But I also believe that 
one thing we all desire to experience and witness through our church is transformation. That through my church, I I would be led to a, a better life, a more faithful life, a more joyful life. A life where my love for God grows. A life where my sin and my bad habits, they melt away. A life where I'm growing in maturity. Right? We all desire to have that kind of experience with God where we see change and transformation in our lives. And I also would say that we all experience to, we, we want to witness that. We want to witness other people go through that experience of transformation, of change. And the question is, how do we see that kind of transformation happen in our church? And so today we're going to learn from our scripture here in John 13, what I'm going to call the transformation principle. We're going to learn how we as a church, we don't have the power to change people or transform people. That's a Holy Spirit thing. But as a church, we do have the power to create an environment, to create a climate where transformation can happen in people. And as a church, we actually also have the power to create an environment, to create a climate that would impede transformation in people's lives. And so that leads us to our text today that Kathy and Steve, thank you so much for for reading for us. Kathy did so well. She, she gave us a bit of that context there here in John chapter 13. This is Jesus with his disciples. They're at the Last Supper. So that means we're hours away from Jesus being arrested and going to the cross. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for that very moment. And so I want us to read again. I'm just going to read verses 31 to 35 for right now. But let's look at this together. It says this, when he had gone out, that's referring to Judas, so we'll come back to him. Judas just left. Jesus said to his disciples at the dinner table, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. What does that mean? That This is awkward. All right, basically here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, now is my time. I'm about to go to the cross. And when I go to the cross, God's going to be glorified and God the Father will glorify me. But it's happening right now. Now's the time. Verse 33, he says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is saying, I'm going somewhere. You can't follow me there. The disciples don't quite understand what Jesus is talking about yet. But what he's talking about is I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the grave. I'm going to raise again, and then I'm going to ascend to be with the Father in heaven. That's what he's talking about. That's where I'm going. You can't follow me yet. So I'm going to leave you behind here in this world. And here is my first command to you. 
Because disciples, you're going to go start my church. So here's my command. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the first instruction that Jesus gives his church. That we are to love one another just as he has loved us. And this right here is the transformation principle. Transformation in the church occurs when we love one another as Christ has loved us. When this kind of love is present in the church, when each of us are seeking to love one another in this way, what it does is it creates an environment and a climate where personal transformation can happen in people. But what does that even look like? What does that practically look like? So let's, let's dig into our text just a little bit more just to understand what does it look like to implement this transformation principle in our church. And so today what I have is I want to give us three keys from our passage to implementing this transformation principle in our church. And the first key is obvious. Number one, it's this. We must Love one another as Christ has loved us. That's his command. So let's put a definition on that. How has Christ loved us? Well, the context of our passage today is going to be really helpful in forming that definition. All right. So if you look at the verses that immediately precede our passage today, Jesus has a pretty odd conversation with his disciples about the fact that one of them is going to betray him. And then Jesus straight up reveals that it's Judas. Judas is the one who's going to betray Jesus. And at that moment, Judas leaves. He takes off. And it's on the heels of this, right as Judas is leaving, that Jesus tells his disciples right here, my first command to you, love one another as I have loved you. It's almost set up where this betrayal of Judas is compared to the steadfastness of Jesus to love one another as Jesus loves us means to stay and not to leave no matter what. And then immediately after the disciples finished the last supper, Jesus is arrested and and taken to the cross. And so in direct contrast to Judas who leaves, we have Jesus who is giving his own life for those he loves. We have Jesus who stays, even at great cost to himself. And so I think a good definition of what it means to love one another in the way that Jesus has loved us is this. Here's the definition. That we show up for one another, and we don't leave, even if it costs us something. That's how Jesus has loved you. He has shown up in your life. He has called you to himself. He's invited you into his family and he will never leave you. There's nothing you can do that will cause him to give up on you, even if it costs him something. And I firmly believe that transformation occurs in a person's life when they experience love like this. I believe that when we love one another in the church in this way, we make it easier 
to believe in a God who loves us in that way. That's how important it is to show up for one another. But we need to talk about what it means to actually show up for one another. Because ever since we were newborns, our hearts have longed for people to display their love for us by showing up, by being there, by being interested in who we were, right? Not just through words, not just through affection, but by consistently being there for us, being interested, showing that we matter to them. We all long for that. That is God's design in you. And some of you grew up with families where they didn't show up. And there may be no greater pain or trauma than that because God's built our souls to need this, whether we like it or not. And so think about this, Grace Hill. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, displays his love for us by showing up. Showing up physically, in person, right? He didn't just beam words down from heaven and tell us to follow them. He didn't just expect us to find our way to him or risk being punished by him. No, Jesus shows up physically, incarnationally. He takes on a human body. He came into our world. He experienced our weaknesses. He experienced our brokenness. And he gave his life for us so that we can be with him for all eternity. Right? The essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have a God who shows his love for us by physically showing up. Without Jesus coming here to be with us, there is no gospel. And so this is important. We love one another in the way that Jesus has loved us by showing up for one another physically, incarnationally, and consistently. Or to put it differently, we cannot love one another in the way that Jesus has loved us from a distance. We cannot do it virtually. We cannot do it without regularly being together in person. Can we love one another from a distance? Absolutely. We just can't love one another in the way that Jesus has loved us from a distance. Because it requires presence. It requires showing up, showing up as a church family on Sundays, showing up in one another's lives throughout the week, being together. You know, last Thursday, I was with a group of guys. We were having dinner together and I had the opportunity to share my story with them. And one of the things that always fills me with overwhelming gratitude whenever I share my story is when I talk about my dad. Who's here? My dad is not the most talkative person out there. Y'all know. He's mostly quiet. But when I was in second grade, my dad took me out to breakfast at McDonald's, and there he told me, hey, we're going to have breakfast every week from this point forward. Once a week. No agenda, no study, just consistent presence didn't matter what we talked about and he took me out to breakfast once a week from second grade until i moved out of the house 
13 plus years, every single week, he showed up in person. I'm sure there were days he was busy. I'm sure there are days that I was annoying the heck out of him and he didn't want to. I'm sure there are days it wasn't convenient, but he showed up. And, and this is what God envisions for the church. Is, it's that. That's the picture right there. That we show up for one another. Consistently. Even when it's not convenient. And as your pastor, I want to warn all of us of the temptation that we're headed into. As we begin to emerge out of this pandemic. We live in a culture that values individualism. We live in a culture that says that preferences are primary. We live in a culture that rejects anything that's inconvenient to our lives. And so one of the ways that our culture has influenced the way we view the church is that we begin to view the church as something that provides a service to me as an individual. And if all the church is is a service, for me, then doing virtual only church is sufficient. Showing up every once in a while, that's fine. Picking and choosing churches based off of what they offer, that makes total sense. But that's not the church. The church is a family that we're called to show up for. And every one of us, even me as your pastor, I'm right there with you, has to guard ourselves from our culture, sabotaging what the church really is supposed to be. Right? And here is the danger of our current moment that we're in right now. We are emerging from over a year of needing to be physically distant from each other, appropriately distant from each other because of a global pandemic. We need to be safe, of course. But a year is more than enough time to create new habits and to further influence our worldview about what church really is. But family, God's way of doing church has not changed. That's why I'm so encouraged by how many people are here today. What it means to love one another in the way that Christ has loved us has not changed. We are still called to show up for one another physically and consistently. And I believe that over the next several months, as we come out of this pandemic, Lord willing, please, we are going to have to do some hard work in our own souls, in our own schedules, in our own expectations to get back to the rhythm of showing up for one another. Transformation doesn't happen in people's lives unless we consistently show up, okay? So that's the first key to implementing this transformation principle as a church is we need to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And that means showing up for one another. Here's key number two. Key number two is this. We must be self-aware of how we will be tempted to leave or to not show up. Jesus loved us by showing up and not leaving. Right? So go back to our text. Let me read verses 36 to 38. So Jesus just tells his disciples, hey, I'm headed somewhere that you can't follow me to. 
So here's my command to you as the church. And then we have Peter. I love Peter. I just identify with Peter. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter doesn't like that answer. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. See, Peter here thought that he had this kind of love for Jesus where he would even die for him. That's what Peter thought. That was how he viewed himself. But Jesus says straight to his face, it's not true, Peter. And obviously, as we continue to read, we we do see Peter later on in the Gospel of John. He does eventually leave Jesus. He denies him. See, although Peter thought that he loved Jesus a certain way, there were obstacles to his love that he wasn't quite aware of yet. And he got put into a situation where he instinctually left. And when we think about showing up for one another and loving each other in the way that Jesus has loved us, I think we also need to examine ourselves to discover where we will be tempted to leave each other too. Right? Because just like Peter... That temptation to not show up may surprise us when it comes. See, when Peter's first introduced in the Gospels, his name is Simon the Zealot. Peter was a zealot. He was a a part of a faction of Jews that were trying to get the Jews to violently revolt against the Roman Empire and overthrow them and kick them out. Peter was zealous. He did not like the fact that his people had been conquered. And so when Jesus comes along, proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, and then Jesus calls Peter to follow him, you have to understand that there's something going on in the back of Peter's mind that is telling him that Jesus is the one who's going to take Rome down. Even though Jesus never said that that's what he was going to do, that's the worldview that Peter was immersed in. So later on in John chapter 18, Peter and the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is when Judas shows up with some Roman troops and some Jewish officials to arrest Jesus. What does Peter do in John 18? And he grabs his sword and cuts the ear off of one of the Roman soldiers. Because Peter's ready to roll. He's a zealot. No, no, no. Rome's not going to impede on this. So let me ask you a question. How do you think Peter felt when he saw Jesus say, no, Peter, and he let them arrest him? Or how do you think Peter felt when he saw everyone beating Jesus and throwing things at him and mocking him? His worldview was coming apart. Peter didn't realize that when Jesus said that he was going somewhere and that Peter couldn't follow him, Peter didn't realize that Jesus meant the cross. I'm going to the cross, Peter. And so as the gospel pressed against Peter's worldview, he denied Jesus. And just like Peter, we are immersed 
in a culture. We are immersed in a worldview. It's all around us. We've grown up in it. We live in a culture that says, if someone offends you, cut them out of your life. If a, if your personalities clash with someone, don't be friends with them. If someone disagrees with you, cancel them. If something is inconvenient, don't go out of your way to do it. If something doesn't meet your preference or standard, complain about it. Right? And we may not agree with those values, but we're surrounded by it. We're swimming in that swimming pool every single day. And the gospel is going to press against those worldviews. It's going to call us to a different way of living. It's going to call us to love one another as Jesus has loved us. To show up and to never leave even when it costs us something. Even when we don't want to. Even when it's inconvenient. Even when relationships are hard. And listen, Grace Hill, it is when we push through these temptations to leave. These temptations to not show up for one another. And we show up anyway in one another's lives. That's where transformation occurs. In people's lives. When we show up, even though we're tempted not to. When we push against the culture and the worldviews all around us. This is where we make it easier for people to believe the gospel. Because if God's people always show up for one another in a world where there's all kinds of reasons not to. Then I can believe in a God who will show up for me too. Christ is looking to his body. Look around to your left and right. That's you. Christ is looking to his body to express his love to one another. And that's where life transformation happens. So where might the gospel be pressing up against your worldview, your preferences, your comfort zone? Where might you be tempted to not show up for your family? Because God calls us to show up anyway. So key number one to this life transformation principle is we need to love one another in the same way that Jesus has loved us. And key number two is we need to be self-aware of how we might be tempted to leave. And here's our last one. Key number three. We must be aware that our neighbors are watching us. Did you catch verse 35? Let's read that one more time. Jesus says this. He says, by this, by you loving one another as I have loved you, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Listen, those who don't know Christ are watching. If what we preach matches what we live. And they ought to watch. And they know if we're not. And Jesus is telling us right here that the world will know that we are a gospel people if we love one another with a gospel love. And if the church just becomes a place where we show up when we want to, we just consume, 
We don't love one another as Christ loved us. We don't show up for one another. We just argue over things. Our neighbors are not seeing anything different and unique than their normal experience in the world. And one of the easiest things we can do to demonstrate the gospel to our neighbors is by showing up consistently. You know, over the past uh, few months, my wife and I have been uh, helping this single mom and her child. And uh, my wife was on the phone with one of the CPS workers, Child Protective Services. And the CPS worker straight up just asked her, straight up, what's your angle? Like, why are you doing this? Because we don't see this. And my wife just simply replied to the worker, no one has ever shown up for this mom. I mean, if you knew her story, no one has ever shown up for her. And she just needs someone to show up. And listen, to a world that does not know Jesus, that is alien but it's beautiful. And if the world witnessed a church that was more concerned about showing up for one another and their neighbors than anything else, the gospel would be on full display and could not be ignored. And that's how we see life transformation. Not only for people inside the church, but also people outside the church. We love one another by showing up never leaving, even if it costs us something. Grace Hill, this is how God loves you. Even when we don't live this out, even when we do leave, even when we do fail to show up for one another, God in his grace and his mercy still shows up for us. His mercies are new every single morning. Right, You could imagine the guilt and the shame that Peter felt for disowning Jesus at the cross. And no one would be surprised if that ended Peter's relationship with Jesus right there. Because that's how the world works. But it didn't. Just go to John chapter 21, a few chapters later, and you can read what Jesus did. He showed up again. And he forgave Peter. And then he told Peter, Peter, you are my man to go lead the church. Because at that moment, Peter was a transformed man. Because life transformation happens when people are loved like Jesus loves. And Peter wasn't the same after that moment. And this is what Jesus calls his church to do as well. To show up. It's transformational. And so today, I I want us to end our time together right now reflecting on the fact that Jesus is a God who shows up and does not leave. And our proof is the cross. Jesus was willing to allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed that he could be in relationship with you. And he did that already knowing your flaws, already knowing your sin, already knowing the ways you would disown him like Peter did, already knowing it all, and he still showed up and went to the cross. And one of the things that he told his disciples to do that night of the passage that we were reading as they were having supper together 
is he said, hey, from this point forward, when you feast together, when you come together to eat, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some bread and I want you to break it. And I want you to remember that my body was broken for you. And when you take some wine, I want you to drink it. And I want you to be reminded that my blood was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And so Grace Hill, we're finally back together. Which means we can finally have this feast together again. And so if you have not grabbed a communion cup, you can go over to the tent over there and we have more communion cups. I encourage you to do that. But we're going to have this feast together. Or rather this COVID safe, individually packaged wafer and little bit of juice. And what we're going to do is we're going to remember together how Jesus has loved us and how he has shown up for us and how he'll never leave us. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray right now. And after I pray, the band's going to come up. They're just going to play some music. I want you to take a few minutes just to yourself silently. And I want you to remember the cross. As you take the wafer and you eat it, I want you to remember the body of Jesus being broken for you. As you sip on the juice, I want you to remember the blood of Jesus being shed on the cross for you. So I'm going to pray. When I'm done, take as much time as you need. Enjoy the cracker and the juice whenever you want. And then we're going to close our time in song. Let me pray. God, the beauty of the gospel is that you showed up for us when you didn't even have to. You showed up for us even while we were sinning against you. You showed up for us even when we were denying you. You showed up for us even though we were dead in our sins. You showed up for us even though it would have been just for you to not to. But God, you are a merciful God. A gracious God. And so right now as we take these few moments to eat the bread and drink the juice, we want to remember the cross. We want to remember that Jesus showed up so that he could go to the cross to bear our sin upon his back. And that his body was broken so that we wouldn't have to experience, God, your wrath and anger against our sin. And his blood was shed to cleanse us of all of our sin and to make us righteous so that when we stand before you, we stand as righteous, accepted, redeemed, transformed. And so God, if there's anyone here today who has not trusted in you for the forgiveness of your sins, I pray right now that your spirit would awaken their heart to the gospel. But for all of us right now, God, would you meet us in this moment? as we get to feast together for the first time in a long time, would you assure us of your love for us as we remember the cross and end our time worshiping you? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.